Hello, welcome hey. to another- Uh oh. Welcome back to Catherine. Okay. Um, yes. Uh, welcome <laughs> to Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. That's Catherine Rubino. Chris Williams is here, but uh, understand understands that he's supposed to not necessarily cut people off because I'm he's definitely more supposed to do what I'm doing. You <sighs> he, may not like it, which I will grant, but I'm yeah. supposed to be doing this. This is like my mission. Yeah. Well, this is, uh, of course, welcome back, uh, Catherine. Who I guess well, there was one uh, one emergency podcast in there, but is now mm. back from leave. You know, I'm back. Yeah, exciting. Mm-hmm. Welcome. Back again. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Turns out I had a baby. Yes. Yes. Uh, how's all that going? Great. Super. She's adorable. She's magnificent and is asleep. So, you know, win, win, win for Seem, me. Seems <laughs> like that's that's key to being adorable and magnificent is being asleep. So. <laughs> well, all right. That's. Oh, yeah. There See, we go. That, was, that really does, does count as small talk, I suppose. Like literally small. Oh, she is little. She is little, but she is she is two months old and is now has gained three pounds, which is a significant percentage of her weight considering she started at six. So, uh, yeah, we're we're happy with the size of the baby. Cool. I can't believe it's only been two months. Yeah, yeah, it's been two months. It's a, both incredibly fast and an incredibly slow <laughs> time that has gone by. Well, all right. Well, what have you been up to, Chris? Well, I haven't seen you in two months. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm I'm back in the United States. Woohoo! Uh, that's a thing. I'm happy to say my plant survived me not being here for five months. So wow. That's cool. Uh, but, you know, really, I'm just getting used to the prices of the U.S. It makes no sense how much everything costs. It's like three to four times the amount of some groceries. Yeah. Well, it's not known for being cheap here. Funny thing is, it is. I was I was talking to people in the um, airport and they were like, oh, things are expensive in uh, Cambodia. I can't wait to go back to the United States where they're cheaper. And I and I and I just looked at them and I know the soul had to leave from my eyes. Like um, <laughs> America's PR team is phenomenal. <laughs> like, How about you, Joe? What have you been up to? You know, it's uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I've just kind of been doing basic home repair sorts of things like getting uh getting everything on track around here watching tv uh you know nothing nothing too crazy i've just did completed a webinar that i did on the future of ai this is not small talk that is work talk you can't fool me i know the difference i look you know maybe i don't think i care so much about my job that in in a sense i've never worked a day no, but for real, like it's it's really beneficial for you. I mean, I say it as a concerned acquaintance. Uh, you know, getting a hobby helps help, will help you. It'll keep you from getting burned out at your job, keep you, you know, healthier, you know, happier, more I, fulfilled. I feel like I feel like the the couple months with you not on the podcast helped me from getting burned out. Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you uh you're a delight. That's fair. That's what that's what folks say. All right. I will pull the plug on this. And we can move on to chatting about real topics. Uh so where do we where to begin? Where to begin? Uh-huh. Any thoughts? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, Why don't you pick? All right. Well, we I guess we may as well go to the story that keeps on giving Supreme Court ethics stuff. The biggest story that we had last week was actually 
You know, it was one of those stories that's kind of I always feel bad about because it was a story where I was pointing to somebody else's story. So it wasn't really like it was original. It was just me like trying to help hype somebody else's story. But federal judge wrote an opinion piece in the Times explaining that, uh, you know, I think it was a great piece. Everyone should read it. But going through and explaining how the Supreme Court's ethics problems really go further than just whether or not they should have an ethical code that they are for compelled to follow, which they probably they should. should. Yes. <laughs> uh, but even beyond that, uh, this judge explained that, you know, this isn't hard stuff, and it's stuff that all the no. rest of us judges do all the time. It, yes, because they, they have an ethical code that is enforceable. Right. Uh, and it's true, but, uh, but really the point in Judge Ponsor's piece is that it, even though there is a code that's enforceable, it also is, there's a lot of just getting it right based on kind of a smell test, as he's putting it, uh, that there, he talks about instances where gifts were offered to him that he didn't take, where one could theoretically, as a judge, have taken that gift and probably mounted defense to argue that it wasn't in violation technically of mm-hmm. the code. But he's explaining that, like, that's not what, Federal judges do. Federal judges generally just follow the rules and go above and beyond the rules because they understand. Well, it used to be a cliche, right? Yeah. Like the mere appearance of impropriety was something to be avoided, not can I possibly justify it under a really a clear, uh, you know, hyper technical hyper- Yes, that's exactly that, what I mean. That's actually a phrase he uses in reference Black's to Black's Law Dictionary. Yeah. yeah. Like, he, like in. In response to Alito's uh, pre-rebuttal that he did where he went to the Wall Street Journal and wrote a bunch of, well, technically the word facility would include a plane, and therefore I was using a facility. Right, right. He's like, these sorts of hyper-technical arguments are not what the federal judiciary is known to do. And his position is whether or not the court ever gets some sort of a judicial code that they have to abide by. What's wrong in this country is that the Supreme Court has seems to have lost that natural smell, the, the, the right. sense of smell that maybe I shouldn't be doing this because. And, and and this actually, I think, goes further, not just that, oh, the Supreme Court should be doing this. Other folks are doing this. It's not hard to do this, which I think is definitely a great point, but also the way in which over time this changes what the rest of the judiciary does. Right. You know, yeah. people who become judges, federal judges now or in five years or in 10 years have the, um, a different model ahead of them than than past jurists. And they, they will respond in, in, in accordingly, yeah. not that they want to be less ethical than their predecessors, but that is the environment, that is the industry to which they have been appointed and elevated. Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit. Uh, speaking of which, we had a couple of additional scandals come out over the last week. Uh, the, and, and by scandals, are they scandals? Maybe not. But maybe it's more to the point of the Supreme Court looks so bad right now that everything seems like a scandal. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start with Venmo Gate. Uh, so, Chris, you covered this. <laughs> this is uh, Clarence Thomas's latest thing, which uh, we are calling Venmo Gate because why not? Uh, what... Well, what Venmo was, is involved, so well, there's, was involved. there at least is yeah. a reason. <laughs> All right. So what happened here? Uh, in essence, nothing. Uh, okay. Nothing happened. That's the story. <laughs> um, there was a, a 
There was a clerk of Justice Thomas. He was the main person of the story. There was a, he had his Venmo transactions public, which most people do. And it showed that several other people who also clerked for Thomas sent the guy money from like 2019 or so. And they were labeled, you know, Clarence Thomas Christmas party or CT Christmas party, all the other variations. Merry Christmas. Yeah. Uh, the Guardian looks at this and they then uh, ring the bell talking about how this is proof of judicial conflict. How dare Justice Thomas, even his clerk, do this? And trust me, I'm the guy that wants to talk shit about Clarence Thomas whenever possible. You know, I wake up, brush my teeth, I search Google. I'm like, please, another guy, another thing <laughs> to gossip about. But this just wasn't it. It just wasn't yeah. it. And, it. and I think it does speak more to the thirst for transparency about the judiciary generally. But mm-hmm. nothing happened here. Yeah. Um, so, like, a lot of the issues about, like, hypotheticals are like, what if this was proof that all his clerks paid off the, the bill for, you know, Clarence Thompson's party, which would be a story, would definitely be a story, but that's not the story we have. Yeah. Yeah. The argument is that these former clerks, who are therefore powerful people in their own right, were using his aid as kind of a, a shadow payment. Uh, they were really paying Clarence, but doing it through this aid was the argument. Uh, and why was uh, why were they paying for Christmas parties? Why are they going to Christmas parties? Yada, yada. I, which I didn't... Uh, I agree completely I didn't think was a real issue. Uh, that said, it, it speaks to a real issue, just one that I think is beyond this whole money issue. Uh, and Clarence definitely has his own money issues going on right now, uh, ethically. But it's beyond the money issue. What bothered me about it is it's a testament to how, you know, the the revolving door of Supreme Court clerk to powerful practitioner is real, and it is a it, it and it's a you know it's a it's a well greased revolving door. But it's also one of those situations where, you know, I don't really care that one of his clerks might be a junior associate somewhere for a few years. But we're at a point where, I mean, he has clerks who are longtime professors at law schools. He has clerks who are high-end practitioners at this point, partners who are running practices. Uh, That's what gets me. And it's not something that is, you know, necessarily his fault as much as it's a broken thing about the system, which is when you have a life tenure system like we do and somebody gets to hang around for 30 plus years and you know then those clerks who are the clerks that he invites to clerk parties because that's what what judges do when it's a bunch of junior people that's not a big deal but when you're actually hanging around for this long then you're having parties all the time with incredibly powerful people who have business before the court Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's where it crosses into being problematic uh, and really highlighting the the problem for me. I think that's correct. But I, I will say, even though I don't think that this particular scandal in quotation marks has panned out, I do appreciate that we're actually starting to pay attention to all these money and the court issues. Yeah. Well, let's transition from that then. Uh, mm. Still on this topic, but related. Uh, so the other mini scandal that came out is, so we've had a slight percolating one that Justice Sonia Sotomayor does not 
in, in multiple occasions, did not recuse herself from cases involving her book publisher, right. uh, which kind of has kicked around as a possible problem. But then it got added on top of that with a new issue. So let's walk through that. Right. The AP um, did a report on uh, some of the work that Sonia Sotomayor's court staffers have done in relationship to her activities as an author, various book events that she's done, other sort of public speaking engagements that she's done that the staffers have been working on. And, you know, what kind of work is our court staff folks doing in relationship to activities that she gets outside money for was kind Mm -hmm. of the underlying question. And the thing that really struck me about this, you know, again, in quotation marks, scandal is the way Sonia Sotomayor has responded. (laughs) We are getting too used to these vague or combative kinds of answer uh, responses to questions about ethics and about how people are making money and what's going on. You know, we talked about the Alito response earlier in this conversation when, um, you know, the scandal with Clarence Thomas and Harlan Crow first broke and continues to break. There's been only vague sorts of references and justifications for what happened. There's not really been a sort of come to Jesus. This is this is what's going on kind of statement from the justice uh, about it. But Sonia Sotomayor's response talks about the fact that uh, her co- judicial code of ethics says that judges are supposed to engage with the public for on legal and non-legal topics in order to sort of, you know, build the public trust in the judiciary and that that's what her staffers were doing, that they worked on, you know, there are multiple justices and judges that work, uh, you know, with the public on these kinds of events. This is very much akin to what her staff was doing, uh, that yes, it was a book event and, and, but no one was pressured necessarily to buy a book in order to attend the event. And, you know, she, the point is, Regardless of kind of the specifics of what the staffers were doing at any given moment, she's very clear about her justifications for what it was, what happened, why she believes it's okay. And I thought that that was kind of a refreshing response to an inquiry as opposed to sort of the... Yeah, I think that's true. I will I'll push back on the no one was pressured to buy anything because mm-hmm. and this is not something that she did that's untoward. Although I mean I saw some right wing publications like say, Can you believe she forced places to buy the book? But the way book tours work is that the place where you are going to sign books, they are told buy this many books to have so that you can then sell them to people who are coming in to get it signed, right? So ultimately, it is driving book sales. And that's where sure. I think it could be problematic because I don't think when when we're talking about engaging the public, I'm not altogether sure the intent was to, you know, sell books. But yeah, like I, I agree with you that, you know, this is this is something that she's confronting head on and being like, oh, I kind of thought it was this. Uh, it doesn't seem, it's not nearly as squirrely as the argument, oh, I kind of thought that having all my vacations paid for was personal hospitality, <laughs> right? And, right? and, and like, again, these are, these are also, it's also different in type because no one is saying that then she was adjudicating things in front of the court based on these books, these specific right. book sales, right? And w- as to whether or not she heard cases or should have heard cases regarding to her publisher, she has said that there's now been a change in the, in the conflicts process that would prevent that from happening in the future. And it was inadvertent that she heard the cases in the first instance. So there is a recognition of a change in process that has occurred as a result of the inquiries, which I think is really, you know. Well, yeah. And I, and I, mm-hmm. Barnes and Noble being forced to buy some books for her to do, I'm just using them as an example, I'm not to them in particular, but a bookstore being forced to buy a bunch of books so that she could 
have a five minute talk and then sign things like nobody's thinking that they were trying to curry favor by doing that. Like mm -hmm. say, I don't know, offering your private jet to fly somebody <laughs> to a luxury resort for a week. Right. Like, I, I think that is different. And, and a lot of the programs that uh, Sonia Sotomayor did were with schools where they would talk yeah. about her book in response. So like these schools would say, you know, people have to buy the book in order to participate in the program, et cetera. Well, and you know, it really got to me as I saw some of the social media backlash over it. It really spoke to how, Folks, whether or not this is technically an ethics issue, fine. It may well be, and I'm hopefully it will get addressed. But what really got me was the way in which it speaks to how these folks don't quite get why people are mad. Mm -hmm. They think people are mad because justices are making money. No one's mad because justices made money. They're mad because they're making money undisclosed <laughs> with, from people who are yeah. using it as an effort to curry favor with them. Like it, it's the corruption part of it, not the, <laughs> not the actual making money part. You know? well, to, to that point, and this may not be pushback. I think one of the things that you have to acknowledge with this is that the arguments aren't equally in good faith. Like mm -hmm. sure. um, if, when there's a, when let's say Clarence Thomas gets paid, $500,000 for, you know, showing up somewhere. It's like, what, friends can't give each other money? And then, you know, a book deal happens like, oh my God, she forgot $3. Like, it, it, the <laughs> things that are happening are, are being trumped up. Um, yeah. So it's hard. So, it, I mean, part of me, part of my heart is like, it's, it's cute to see a, a, a good faith response, but I'm like, it's also being wasted <laughs> on the people this response is meant to appease. You know? <laughs> All right. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. All right, so let's uh, we're back. Let's talk uh, offices a little bit. Uh, this is not really a new story, but it's a more development in a story. So we have uh, more firms pushing toward uh, four-day week. Yeah, over the last week, we learned that while Gottschall was now mandating four days in the office for their uh, attorneys, as well as uh, Skadden and Davis Polk were the other two firms that have come out and made this uh, their sort of going forward. And, you know, three's a trend. <laughs> yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, well, so I will push back on that. Like mm -hmm. I, 
I'm not sure what to make of this. Uh, certainly, you would think three would be driving something, but I also think about when a salary increase happens or a bonus comes out, you don't have the kind of gap in time that we're having between these firms making these announcements. Like uh, People move rapidly, if not sometimes even on the same day. That's not what's going on. There's I think uh, I read an article in American Lawyer where they somebody was quoted saying this is weird because it's a slow trickle. Uh, and that's what I, I it is a slow trickle. And that's not something I'm used to seeing from how big law copycats each other. I think that you, that's, a, that's a fair point. But I, I will say these are the trickle is still happening before. But I think is a key period of time, which is the on-campus interview season, right? Mm -hmm. Which happens, you know, at the end of the summer. So I think that that's very important. And I also think that when folks or firms are making the decision about what kind of in-office presence they're going to mandate, if they're going to mandate, et cetera, having these sort of big name firms come out with these very strict kind of policies emboldens everyone below that sort of level to have, well, we're only mandating three days. Aren't we benevolent in comparison when, uh, you know, if Skadden wasn't doing this, they might've only felt empowered to mandate two days in the office. Right. Mm -hmm. So even if no, even if not everyone is matching the same number of days as this kind of big three firms so far, uh, I do think it still has an impact on the industry as a whole. I think that's fair. I don't know. I, I definitely see on a recruiting front, I definitely mm -hmm. see it as a strong counter recruit. Uh, like people are going hard with these firms have moved four. you know, this firm is still at three or this firm is at four, but doesn't mandate which four it is. Mm -hmm. Or like that, that is a selling point. Uh, and I think, you know, if from a big law firm perspective, you never want to be out on a limb being more draconian, right? Unless like, you have the name to justify it, right? right? And I think that that's probably what what happening what's happening. Firms that feel that we have the name that we will get enough people who want to work here regardless, mm. and and I think that you know it also depends. I think how much the firm depends on. Uh, law school recruitment versus lateral recruitment, because I think the folks, firms that are big in the lateral market understand that this becomes very important. I think that when you're dealing primarily with law school students, there's a, a, a different perspective, right? You haven't really been in the workforce, the majority of folks haven't been in the workforce a ton. And it seems like, oh, I could do four days. You, you I think that's true, but I, but the count, but to push back, no one's not involved in the lateral market, right? Because even if they aren't hiring in the lateral market, that means they're being recruited out of in the lateral market. Well, I guess how much they depend on the lateral yeah. market, right? There are some firms that primarily recruit and promote from within, and there are other. Oh, sure. Even though they, you know, might lose folks to the lateral market, they still aren't dependent on the lateral market in order to fill their right. ranks. Right. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that yeah. there's a there's a there's a sell side. Oh, hundred percent. hundred percent. You know, that they're opening up and like how much attrition mm -hmm. are you willing to have in your mid to senior associate ranks? Uh, mm -hmm. and that's really what they're buying with this sort of a decision. It'll be it'll be interesting to continue to monitor and also track how the legal industry compares to other other industries. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was the thing. The original push for all of this was coming from the banking side, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, Which is a lot of business to big law firms. <laughs> I assume it was banks that had a lot of commercial real estate in their portfolios. Almost so, inevitably. <laughs> yeah.
Okay, so uh, we've talked about this in a few different stories uh, here and there. We haven't really been, there's no like one deep dive that we've done into it, but uh, this is actually a story that we'd like to talk about just because Catherine uh, has more or less missed it uh, being <laughs> gone on leave. And the other day like, while, What's happening while here? chatting about this, she was, she was taken aback by what's going on here. Uh, so we're going to talk about Judge Pauline Newman of the Federal Circuit, Okay, so as I'm yeah. I'm kind of coming into this, let's start at the most basic. Judge Pauline Newman is a judge. Yes, <laughs> that is circuit? correct. Federal Circuit. Federal uh, Circuit, great. Yep. And uh, my reading is that she's of a certain age. Yes, uh, very specifically 96, I believe. That seems old. Yeah. And, and this plays into the story, question mark? Yeah, so the... Yeah, the, the chief judge uh, has been pushing, uh, apparently along with the support of a lot of the other judges on the circuit, has been pushing to get Judge Newman to leave, in, up to and including telling her she's not allowed to sit on panels anymore. Really kind of sketchy stuff. Uh, judge Newman is not uh, cool with any of this, uh, <laughs> and going so far as to conduct interviews with media outlets explaining how not cool she is with this. So let's go through now. So what were your initial reactions to this? Well, you, you know, initially you say, oh, you know, someone 96 year old maybe should take a break from from active duty on one of the most important uh, federal benches in the country. But have there been any any complaints about her jurisprudence? I mean, a number is certainly a a bit of information about her, but it's not certainly everything. There have been a lot of complaints about her dissents, but outside of, like she dissents a lot. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, not really. <laughs> Lots of people do. <laughs> right. She dissents a lot. And also she, you know, she's she's got strong feelings about the federal circuit as a concept at this point. Mm. Uh, she actually gave an interview recently where she said that even though she was one of the driving forces behind kind of building this this body, she thinks that it's kind of broken in how it operates. You know, we because they're trying to force her out or seemingly more related? fundamental. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we we moved you know, a lot of our intellectual property law into this kind of separate off-ramp, right, mm -hmm. uh, into the federal circuit as opposed to having it decided uh, at the various geographic circuits. Was that a good idea or not? Well, you know, like there, there's still philosophical than, questions. Than a random there. jurisdiction in Texas getting all those cases, I guess. Right, right, right. And and that's kind of the, the question there. And I will say of this, I, my take on it has been, I fully understand the idea that a 96-year-old judge, and this goes this goes back to the Clarence Thomas talk about being entrenched for 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. Like a 96-year-old judge, you know, isn't ideal. Uh, that said, if we're going to live in a world where we privilege life tenure, you absolutely cannot have a situation where the other judges on the court go oh, we're not letting her hear cases anymore. I mean, she is a co-equal federal judge until the moment she chooses not to be. So right. leave her alone. Or, the, or she's been impeached. Which or she's been impeached, right. 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 Yeah, I, I mean, you know, you don't want to be, I don't want to be a textualist necessarily, but when you say lifetime appointment, you can't change your mind just because we're living longer now. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, it increases the argument for some form of term limit, uh, at sure. least for term limit for active duty status. Like a, we have a senior status. It is a thing people can be 
can take. I think a world in which we forced all of our judges to take senior status after X number of years would be wonderful. It would open up the judiciary to new people and new voices. It would release the pressure uh, that currently exists to have a bunch of children on the court. I mean, mm -hmm. back to the Clarence Thomas discussion sure. about how I said, I don't really care about junior people. The senior people are what's the problem. I mean, a person one year removed from clerking for Justice Thomas ended up on the federal bench because Donald Trump had reached the very bottom of eligible people who were MAGA-ish enough and, and young, young enough, enough to be on, to the, be on the court courts. for 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it would be much nicer if we had that sort of system. But until we do, you've got to live with this mm -hmm. uh, is really my feeling on it. Yeah. Uh, it seems like we've got a, we've got a system. You got to change the system if you don't like it. You can't just... Yeah. So a mediator has been appointed to hear this uh, former judge uh, is mm -hmm. going to hear these complaints. You know, mediation uh, is really a lot of handholding and negotiation. It's not necessarily binding in a lot of ways. Uh, we'll see how this works. I, I don't know. I I feel like I'm very much on the camp of uh, leave Pauline alone in the Britney voice. Who was that? It's not like I can't even remember who the person who did that was, but. But yeah, I'm very much on that camp, at least until we change it. Some fan is very angry with you right now. You're like, how do I you know. not know it's insert name here? I know. I, it's killing me. Anyway. Well, that, so that's what's going on there. And it's an interesting question, right? Like, what do we demand of the courts? And like, we had this situation at the Supreme Court at one point, uh, mm -hmm. and it got resolved mostly by luck uh, that Waymo <laughs> Douglas actually left the bench but he uh but he was very much i'm gonna stay and everyone else said except you have dementia um and it became a problem that was threatened to become an impeachment situation but ultimately did not here I you were uh, talking about rbg for a second no no they, they that was that was a different issue she should have left for a bunch of other reasons but this was one where there was actually a medical reason uh to leave but he wasn't you know excited about doing it uh here though look hey everybody i've like i i follow i don't really do a lot of this patent litigation stuff uh i do know that patent professors and so on that i follow uh, suggest that they have seen her speak recently and see don't seem as though there's any issues so mm -hmm. it's not like a situation like justice douglas's uh seemingly so yeah it's it's going to continue to be an issue, but I definitely don't think your fellow judges get to sit, get to put you, uh, put it, you to yeah, pasture. It does seem like that's, that is a system that is ripe for abuse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Could you imagine? It definitely shouldn't be able to make up health conditions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could be you know, all sorts of mischief could happen if the currently the chief judge of some court can sideline all of their colleagues, that would be really dangerous. With all of that done, uh, let's conclude. We've uh, thanks everybody for listening. Welcome back again. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. You should subscribe to the show so you get new episodes when they come out. You should leave reviews, stars, and write something and welcome Catherine back and all of that <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, the, anything there helps the algorithms learn that we're a podcast that talks about law that people should be listening to. You should be listening to other shows. Catherine's the host of The Jabot. I'm the guest on the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable. There's a plethora of other shows on the Legal Talk Network to be following. You should be reading Above the Law, as always, so you can read about these and other stories before we talk about them here. You should be following us on social medias. ATL blog is on Twitter, 
and I think that might even be the name on Threads at this point. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, sort of. It's user ba- It's users' daily use like fell off like seventy percent last week or something like that. So maybe it's not. That was a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, who knows uh, how that plays out? Uh, I am uh, personally, I'm at Joseph Patrice on Twitter, and I'm at Joe Patrice at all the other various things: Blue Sky Threads, yada yada. I'm uh, either Catherine One or Catherine Rubina. Yeah, at the various. Oh, where, where are you, Catherine Ravino? You're Catherine One at Twitter, I know. Mm-hmm. I believe you're Catherine One on Blue Sky. And Mastodon at Catherine One. But what was the other one that happened? Threads? Par- no, something like oh, P. Oh, Post? Post. I'm Catherine. Oh, God. I've, I forgot. No, it. Yeah, Parlor. Yeah, her Parlor account. Yeah, no, uh, Post, uh, I, yes. I really think that one's gone. Uh, but yes, there, there's that. Chris is at Rights for Rent, the W, like, writing for Rent uh, at Twitter and other places. I actually don't know what your handle is everywhere. Is it the same? Or don't argue anywhere else. I'm Chakra Sun on Snapchat. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Okay. So then there's all that. And uh, yeah, with all that said, thanks everybody. Bye. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.